your brother's hungry? Don't you know your sister's lonely? Don't you know there's babies crying? Don't you know your brother's dying? Greetings. I'm Dr. Anthony Smith of Alashe Center for Enrichment, and welcome to Black Folks Do Therapy, where we endeavor to challenge you to think critically about your mental health and overall wellness. Our goal is to inspire you to align your actions and values so that you might live your life fully 86,400 seconds every single day. We do this in part by asking questions and raising issues that you may not have previously considered. Ultimately, we encourage you to do those things that help you to live your best life consistently, always working towards balance. Greetings and welcome to Black Folks Do Therapy, where we come to talk about these issues related to your mental health and making sure that you are in a positive space. And it's particularly important this week as we are dealing with um, several crises that have been really impactful on African-American community all over the United States. Um, this recent uh, episode in Minneapolis with the murder of a young man by the Minneapolis police uh, has really traumatized and had a profound impact on a lot of people. And so we want to talk about the implications of that and look at what we can do as a community to begin to not only heal ourselves, but to make change and to break out of the pattern of just having the same response, but nothing changes. So to, today we're gonna um, invite in a psychologist, a good friend of mine, Dr. Pearl Varner, who's a, uh, licensed psychologist in Minneapolis, and he's gonna be talking with us about um, his thoughts and experiences of um, what he's seeing going on and what's, what's been happening in Minneapolis, not only this time, because this isn't the first time. We're gonna talk about the uh, residual impact that is having on uh, the black community and what we need to be doing to make some changes here. So, Dr. Barna, thank you for joining us this evening. How are you doing? I'm well. I, you know, in light of the circumstances, I'm I'm doing okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I I think I that's the response that I would have, and that I, you know, I have to be doing okay. And this is something, unfortunately, that I have experienced uh, since 1955 when I was about five miles away from where Emmett Till was lynched down in Mississippi. So this is unfortunately a very long continuing memory. Wow. So you, you literally remember when that happened? I remember when it happened and I also remember the fear that I experienced and I have a and I can remember us uh, jumping in ditches and running into fields, especially at night or even during the day, daylight hours when we would, would see a car or truck that we did not recognize because we didn't feel it was safe. And that's what we were coached to do 
uh, by our parents and, and grandparents. Wow. Okay, so we're, we're just going to jump right in here. I think that is, that in and of itself gives us an opportunity. There are so many psychological dimensions of what's happening that it, you're uniquely positioned to talk about. I didn't know this, that um, I knew you grew up in Mississippi, but I didn't realize that um, you can draw a connection uh, directly to Emmett Till being lynched and murdered during that time and, and having to do things to protect yourself and, and being afraid of having that come. So can you talk a little bit about how that experience impacted you and how it has stayed with you and, and, and kind of uh, had an impact on your development, not only as a, as a black man in this country, country but as a black psychologist um, as it relates to mental health. Can you talk about that from right. a personal perspective? Uh, yes. Well, you know, as a as a as a young boy at the time, it was normal. I grew up in uh, on a plantation in Mississippi, and uh, there were black and white water fountains and segregated schools, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't go to a an integrated school i have a non-black instructor until i got to graduate school hmm. so uh the that rigid line between the races and that devaluing of black life was some, something that i grew up with but i got this other message that you as a black individual are worthwhile because I did get that from the, from the black church and from uh, the black school, the black segregated school that I, that I went to, which right. where all the teachers were black, the administration that we had contact with uh, was black. And we knew that we were of value and that was, taught to us, but of course, we did not have a whole lot of insight or direction into how to address the, uh, the racial divide. Mm -hmm. So we didn't, have, we didn't know a lot about that. Certainly, there were some in various communities of the rural area in which, where I grew up that did know, and they did have parents and others who were more active in the civil rights movement. But from my vantage point, our vantage point, that was more distant from where we were. Mm -hmm. So it was, in so, in so many ways, it was the norm. It was what we, but in, in living in the kind of environment that I lived in, I also would hear the stories that my relatives and others in the community would speak of, of their various encounters with white folks and how they would uh, quote, stand their ground, so to speak, and would not take the put downs, even though they were field hands or mm -hmm. in other type of what might be considered low class laborers on the on the plantation. They did not accept or tolerate um, mistreatment. So it wasn't that they uh, would initiate a fight or anything like that, but they would uh, utter comments that would in some ways communicate that 
hey, I will work for you, but I expect you to respect me. Mm-hmm. And so I heard, I always grew up with those kinds of stories, knowing that, you know, there is, there is a line in which one's self-respect uh, I had to write to, uh, to make sure that I, I maintain my self-respect. Mm-hmm. So as I kind of backed into the mental health field, it's, it's been an important backdrop to me. And I guess we could talk more as, as, as this conversation moves along about how I became more, more aware, more sensitive to the, quote, uh, the mental health needs of the black community and how there were differences. And, and even within the black community, how there is a diversity mm-hmm. uh, within the, the, the African descent community about what our various needs are right even within the uh, the quote uh, African American community okay so as you're describing the community you're saying that there was a self-respect within the community but also mm-hmm. that people weren't just cowering in fear like there was there were fighters in the community that also sure. We're saying no. You you need to respect me, even during the time where Emmett Till could be murdered in such a an right. Sure, mm-hmm. right. And, and and others were were uh, lynched and murdered in in nearby communities as as well, uh, including uh, one one person in particular. I remember, and I went to school with his children. His name was Clinton Melton, Mm M-E-L-T-O-N. And he was uh, murdered in this little town of Glendora, which is four miles away and not far from uh, Minna City, where Emmett Till was picked up from and subsequently murdered somewhere uh, within, within that area. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but again, along with that, were the, those folks who would stand up. Mm-hmm. So have you thought about the impact that those type of experiences had on you as a young child and subsequently growing up? Yes. Well, uh, just to tell you this, I, so again, until I was 21 and a half years old, I did not have many experiences outside of the African American community. Okay. Okay. So, but beginning after I graduated from high school, I would spend summers, uh, as we would say, up north mm-hmm. in Kansas City, in East Chicago, Indiana, uh, were the places I went uh, to. Uh, earn money during the summer for college. And, but of course, these were basically segregated black communities that I, that I lived in with, uh, with relatives in, in both of those places. So again, my contact with whites outside of those communities was, uh, was very, was very limited, except for some supervisors or bosses in, in some cases. But again, the, 
the relationship between the races, so to speak, uh, mirrored that of the the relationships that I had been accustomed to in Mississippi in that, you know, the whites were the supervisors or the business owners, et cetera, and the African this, uh, American folks in these cases were, you know, they were the ones uh, in the lower level positions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So are you, are you saying that, well, do you think, let me phrase it in a different way. Do you think that there was any trauma that was lasting for you as a result of witnessing and experiencing and living through those deaths and those, those types of lynchings that happened? Or do you think it was just a matter of this is normal and you didn't really internalize it in that way? Well, I would think that in some ways, un, I guess in some ways, fortunately, and in some ways, maybe unfortunately, and it would maybe take me a while to unpack that, mm -hmm. but and then I might share a story if we have time, but it was as if I was conditioned. Okay. And it was as if, and that particular environment that I grew up in with that with that hundred or so, those hundred or so African American families, that it was, quote, it was a village mm -hmm. and it was very supported. I felt nurtured. I felt that I needed to be respectful of the elders. I, I felt that elders respected me and all of the other children in the, in the community. I don't read call a lot about uh, child abuse. I, I do recall, of course, children being spanked. And of course, and I don't mean with the hand, but with switches and belts and those sorts of things. But I don't remember the kind of abuse that I have later become aware of in my, you know, in my adult years and especially as a psychologist. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I, and again, I, I felt nurtured, and of course, I did feel some fear that kind of a, it's in some ways more of a generalized fear of white people that, well, gee, this is, you know, these are the folks who are in charge. These are the people that you don't dare uh, be disrespectful toward or uh, in, in any way. So... But in terms of being traumatized, I would not say that I was, that I felt traumatized, but I just, I felt that, well, gee, wow, this is, this is the way things are. And that, yeah. and it's, this is the way things are. And it's not because, quote, uh, we are less than, or that I am less than, is, is that they have their power mm. and they are the decision makers and they are the ones who, control the jails and they are the mayors and the, mm -hmm. you know, the representatives and the senators and the governors, et cetera, right. et cetera. Sure. So you use the word conditioning and I want to right. take that word and bring it to present day. This is, this is really fascinating for me um, that we're going to, that we're talking about this. So let's bring it to today. Um, mm -hmm. We know what happened um, in your city 
Um, why don't you give a summary of what's going on right now in your city with um, the death of, of, of this young man that, that has occurred? Well, of course, this happened a, a few nights ago. It just seems that it's, it's all run together because it's, it's been so much. Right. And I recall seeing the video that the young woman took uh, that next day, uh, which would have been, I think it was Tuesday. Mm-hmm. If I'm, anyway, it, it, it's all running together. Yes. And then the, uh, after it was announced that, uh, of course, this, uh, this man had passed away, the uh, crowds began to together. And of course, initially, uh, uh, more uh, initially peacefully, uh, uh, but slowly the the and of course, in some ways, uh, in, increasingly more outraged, and subsequently, there have been, I guess, within the last uh, twenty four hours, some, I guess, what might be defined by some as looting in some buildings that have been uh, burned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and people have really been outraged. And, and so again, it's when, when these sorts of things happen, I guess we have to be, I think, careful about, you know, rushing to judgment, and put in like a labor on it because you know who the are the actual initiators of the more violent uh, say damaging uh, activities are not necessarily the ones who are were there in the, uh, to begin with in the spirit of gee this man has died horribly at the knee of uh, an individual who were support who were who was supposed to quote protect and serve so this apparently began with an act of quote service to the store owner because this man had allegedly uttered a fake a counterfeit $20 bill and was subsequently uh, pointed out uh, by the store owner or the store employee, and the young the man was then arrested. And we see a video later, after the video that most folks saw on Facebook, where the man is handcuffed and is being led from his car. And so it kind of stops before the man gets to the police cars, which is what that five to 10 minute video shows him on the ground, uh, stating that he can't can't breathe, calling for his mother who passed away apparently last year, Hmm. et cetera, et cetera, with bystanders asking uh, the police to, gee, 
He's saying he can't breathe, can't you move his leg, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of what we all saw, that struggle by that man. Mm -hmm. And then uh, his, gee, his life slipping away from him. Mm -hmm. And right before our eyes, literally, in that, in that video. Right. And, the, uh, and, you know, it was an interesting uh, picture, Im interesting imagery in that there was a person of color, police officer, who was kind of standing guard as the other officer held his uh, knee on this man's, on this man's neck. Mm -hmm. So I think the just the extent of that that man struggle and that being seen mm -hmm. uh, by you know so many people, so many viewers, especially those close by, it was just uh, the response was, "Gee, wow! How how can you? Right? How can right. how can I allow this? So I feel the need to do something. Mm -hmm. I feel the need to let let." Uh, people know, let the powers that be know that this is not okay. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important for us to, to say his name, George Floyd, right? It's important mm -hmm. for us to keep his name right. alive. Right. And, and I agree. Alive. I agree. Yep, for sure. So yep. Mr. George Floyd did not deserve to have this happen to him. Yeah. No matter yeah. what he did, and that's still allegedly, right? Right, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't do anything that deserved to be treated in such a heinous way. Right. So I want to bring forward that word that you mentioned, the conditioning. Mm -hmm. And and I want you to tie in. So the, in Minneapolis, there's been, this isn't the first time that there's been uh, issues with police inciting violence on, on people of uh, mm -hmm. color, uh, particularly right. Black folk. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. we had the, the mm -hmm. young man that was murdered in front of his wife and children, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. while it was streaming on Facebook Live, um, that, that yeah. happened girl, girl, in Minneapolis. Yeah, girl, girl, girlfriend and her daughter. Right, girlfriend and her daughter, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, right. And he had a legal permit to carry a gun, and he right. was executed. Um, right. So, and then there have been other as well. Mm -hmm. Conditioning. How does conditioning play in terms of the response of people and the fact that mm -hmm. this type of thing can continue happening? Right. Well, you know, I, I alluded to my own, what I term conditioning, but as I have been conditioned to expect things to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. okay. um, I doesn't believe doesn't mean that I I didn't have feelings when I saw the video, uh, but there is a there is a context there again going back to for me anyway for Emmett Till and then you add on history right. from the time of our our presence in this in this in this country, but there is also a conditioning by the, by the masses of people, including the police, that it's okay to treat Mr. Floyd that way, 
regardless of what he allegedly had done, but it's not okay to treat other people that way. Why is it that we have story after story, which unfortunately have become too familiar uh, to us, of black folks being killed by police, but yet, and I'm not advocating police go out and kill white folks or or Asian folks or Native American folks. How about don't kill anybody? (laughs) Right. You you are to to protect and serve. Right. But, gee, you know, you would think after uh, Jamar Clark was killed. This was a young man who was killed in Minneapolis uh, a few years ago. Um, shot by the police officer while, again, they were uh, allegedly in the the uh, details are a bit foggy now, uh, trying to put handcuffs on him or he was reaching for the officer. But, you know, there were uh, protests, Mm -hmm. okay? Uh, Mr. Castile gets killed when he announces that he he has a permit to carry. I'm going to show you. I don't know if he uttered those words, but then he's shot. Mm-hmm. Right again, uh, it's almost as if it were live on on Facebook. Right. It was. So why is it what, that we have protest after protest? Yet this is right here in the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. Okay, the protests have taken place here, but yet May twenty twenty we have the same types of situation, uh, the same type of situation repeating itself. So then why is it that it's a white officer then who kills an African descent person? Mm And that's where that's where I get with that with with the conditioning part of it, right? Because sure. all week I've been talking to people about this, and it's been heavy. People are mm-hmm. really it's like we've become as a community numb to it, mm-hmm. um, and it's just really heavy. And I'm wondering if that heaviness comes from conditioning that this is just the way it is, mm-hmm. and that the the quote-unquote looting is Mm -hmm. a response to, I'm tired of this, I can't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm sick and tired of the same thing happening every single time we say the same thing, we do our march, and then they go and do it yet again. Not only in Minneapolis, but all over the country. And I think as a community, Mm -hmm. we we know that this happens, right? Mm -hmm. We don't need the, the videos to tell us this mm-hmm. has happened. It's happened to me. It's probably happened to you. Um, mm-hmm. This is our experience in this country. And right. yet we still are in a space where, what do we do about it? 
right? right. So is that the conditioning piece there that just makes us numb and say, well, what right. can we do? Right, right. And, and again, is it the conditioning that we both carry, speaking, say, and predominantly as, you know, a white majority, and of course, and I'm speaking particularly us as uh, black victims, mm-hmm. we, for 400 plus years, have been victims, mm-hmm. okay? We continue to be victims. In order for that victimization to take place, one has to nom him and herself to the fact of our humanity. So I can't justify enslaving this person and yet see him, her as, as, a, as, as human. Mm-hmm. So there's the- And the- so, and that, and that's, and so once we get past uh, the quote, the so-called uh, end of the Civil War, then black codes are necessary. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we, we got to do away with this reconstruction stuff that was supposed to be protective of, you know, of black rights and opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we don't need the troops in the South anymore. So, and then we get, uh, 1896, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, separate but equal, mm-hmm. is okay. So separate but equal. Well, gee, that separate but equal means that, well, you know, those folks really are not equal to us, and we still have planted in our minds, and we have to believe this because we have to maintain uh, this, this uh, power dynamic. Right. In order for us right. to do that, we got to be up top, and they have to be—they uh, have to be on the bottom, and that has to persist. And it has to be okay for us to continually enact these laws, these policies, these rules, these neighborhood covenants that say that, well, gee, you know, we have a right to live here, and, and but. It's not okay for them to live here. It's not okay for them to buy, to be able to buy a house in this neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, the value that you have by moving here is that you see here in this covenant, you are assured that another black person will not live in your neighborhood. So you are okay Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to be, and we, this is one way of you being away from quote, uh, from those people. And right. that kind of conditioning has, has continued to, to go on. And, and it, it continues to happen today. You know, we look at our schools and you look at the percentage of uh, people of color in the public school system versus uh, non-people of color in areas like, say, Chicago and here in Minneapolis and St. Paul and other places around the country where you have uh, large numbers of, of black and brown people, you know, the public schools uh, don't reflect the 
the population of the of the metropolitan areas of those cities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's still a situation where the setup is for the people in power to not see people of color as equal, as human. They're, right. We are perceived as less than, which then enables these heinous acts to occur. Because, right. they're, they're, and I'm sure you probably have seen these memes where you see they, they juxtapose the difference between when they arrest a white mass murderer and give mm-hmm. him Burger King and give him water. Right. And sure. But mm-hmm. when they arrest somebody who had counterfeited money or right. was trying to sell a Lucy, it's, it's mm-hmm. quite the opposite reaction. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, the only difference is skin color. Right. Yep. Which mm-hmm. is when you think about the words that I just said, sounds right. crazy. It's, you know, as psychologists, we don't really use those, but. That's uh, that's crazy. That's bad that's shit. Crazy. crazy. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Just because my skin color is different, you're going right. to do this. Treat me this way. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like yeah. I, I I think we need to study white people. Right. In the psyche and, of white people, like what would make you do something like that? Right. And and you know, and I think. Um, White people, I agree, and until white people study themselves and say, you know, you know, we have to take some responsibility here, or, and and it it's and I must and I you know of course being in Minnesota, uh, and well all of my professional life I've worked in predominantly. Uh, white settings as one of the few African descent uh, professionals. And there, I've had a lot of uh, very decent uh, white colleagues. So, and I don't uh, venture to say or suggest that, well, gee, it's all white people because I, I know it isn't. Okay, because I really have met some some very decent concerned uh, people, uh, but again, when he, but we, we have to ask ourselves then, well, do you, now why does this still go on, okay? So, and until enough people say enough is enough, and you know we can't tolerate this going on, because we, we we've said it enough. We you know the, right. the 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 marches and the speeches and you know we've we've done that since over and over and over again. Over and over again. Mm-hmm. So, but until white people decide that you know, wow, mm-hmm. it's us doing it. Yes, you know maybe you call it. If, if they overreact with looting or react with um, dis- destruction of property, well, you know, so, so be it. But, you know, let's, let's, let's look in the mirror here. Yeah. Let's, look, at, let, let's, let's look, look in the mirror and let's make a change. Right. This, this decent white people thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. 
even when people say they're most cops are good cops. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you are a cop and you know that there are bad cops doing these types of things and you aren't saying right. anything to me, right. you're not a good cop. Right. You're not yeah. standing up for injustice. And I apply that same measuring stick to decent white folks. If you're not right. out there calling mm-hmm. other white folks to the carpet for the trashy right. behavior that they're displaying, right. then yep. you're not decent to me. Right. Yep. And I, I that, hear you. You know, this other incident happened this week with this this white woman calling calling the cops on the on the bird watcher in New York. Right. right. And right. he if he didn't have the wherewithal to have a camera and film that encounter, right? this was a classic example. You could see this woman modulate her voice mm-hmm. as she's on the, the dis- with the dispatcher. This African-American right. man, he's large and he's going to kill me. He's coming. Right. Like she really played right. it up just that quickly. A, yeah. a minute ago, but right before she made the call, she was about to attack him. How dare right. you turn that camera off? And he had to tell her, right. hey, back away from me. Stay away from me. Right. She wasn't right. afraid of him, but she right. was going to play it up, knowing that right. as a white woman, I can play it up, and they're going to come, and they're going to rescue me. And he's going right. to get put in his place for daring to suggest that I follow the rules. Right. That mm-hmm. needs to be studied. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's crazy. It needs to be right. studied. Yeah, that's and yeah, so that's until different. decent white people say that is right. wrong, this should never ever happen. It another incident happened in Minneapolis with this guy policing the um the tenants who were in the gym. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. You, you mm-hmm. heard about that, right? right? Hey, yeah. Hey, what are you doing I, here? I, you I, don't belong yeah. here. I'm gonna yeah, call you, these right. people. You know. Right. <laughs> who gave yep. you the right to right. other people yeah right this, so. this so that needs to be studied because that is right. uh, a disorder and we right. need to create a name for it and put it in the dsm5 right yep. i don't know what we're gonna call it but right. just like they had this this order that they created for enslaved africans who wanted to run away Right. It was actually, yeah. they, they considered that to be a disorder. Crazy. Right. Yeah. Drapetomania, right? Crazy if, you're on, crazy if you want to run away from slavery. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we got a lot, Drapto, a lot of work you, to do. You're, you're a drapetomanic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot yeah. of work to do in this mental health space. Right. I tell you. Know, you. Carving yeah. out our space as right. black people. Um, and which right. is why I think this podcast and and folks who are saying you know in in our larger community our larger um, mm-hmm. association of black psychologists being mm-hmm. able to say that we understand life differently and our mental health needs mm-hmm. to be taken in a serious way and right. we look at the, the the things that impact us differently than it does uh white people right so right let's go back to this conditioning and and talk about the responses yeah, so you've been seeing people all week. I've been seeing people. Practically every person that I've talked to mm-hmm. has this has been an issue. It has mm-hmm. impacted them. Right. What have you been experiencing and talking to people about how they deal with 
this assault on our mental health, our psyches that we're seeing visually every day. Right. So now, uh, it's, it, I think it's important that we, uh, that we meet people uh, where they are. And that's, that's what I, I try and do in, in all situations. And I'm sure that you do as well. Mm-hmm. But just looking at, they just thinking uh, off the top of my head here, so, for example, I had, you know, one uh, young white woman that I saw today who was, gee, uh, has her own challenges in her own mental health, but feeling bad that, gee, I'm not out there marching. Mm. I'm not doing something. Mm-hmm. If I'm not marching, I should be... Uh, calling people are doing something, okay? Mm-hmm. So I, I had to kind of help her to unpack that uh, today. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I guess in some ways help her to to lessen the guilt that, hey, you know, you're, you're I think I'm hearing you say that your heart's in the right place here. Right. So let's, let's think about that. I, another person who's a bit more, uh, aware of history, who just kind of, because of his awareness of history, while feeling the need to, of course, talk about it and to to verbalize uh, his his thoughts about it, but again, able to place it in a historical context. And that uh, that left him thinking that you know I got to remember that this has happened before, and it didn't didn't just happen with uh, Jamar Clark or with uh, uh, some of the other uh, more recent uh, deaths in in the last ten years with uh, black men falling. Uh, victim of police violence, but this has always been there. And again, just he kind of walked through walked through history. So, but again, it, it was important to to just listen. I think because he was just kind of needed to talk about it in, in that way. Another person who's gee her un- her unemployment runs out this week. Mm. I'm trying to find a job. Right. Okay. Boyfriend, gee, why aren't you out there? Well, you know, I, I care. I'm I'm hurt. I'm concerned, but I need to follow up with these interviews. Right. I need to maintain contact with these folks who are trying to help me access resources so that I can become stable in my life. So again, for her, I see it as important for her to be where she is. I, there was a group that I did a few uh, years ago, three of those folks uh, still in contact with each other. And in response to the George Floyd um, murder 
they included me. One of them included me and the other two on kind of a text chain. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, I think it's important that, gee, they don't know how much contact they have had with each, you know, with each other. Maybe I know two of them maybe have had more contact between them than they have with that third person. But I think it was very helpful for them to be able to have that kind of contact with each other. And I think later today, they were have some type of Zoom Zoom connection or Skype connection to be able to be more supportive of each other in that way. So mm-hmm. really just kind of encouraging that, that, you know, the kind of support that they, uh, they need. I made some comments here, here and there about some of the things that they were talking about and sharing. And of course, in some ways it's, well, gee, wow, I feel like killing, you know, all policemen. Well, you know, that's maybe a kind of a natural, kind of a natural response, but um, let's, you know, take a while to, to, to think about that and to kind of allow that to, uh, that kind of anger to subside before, you know, before you leave your place. So, but that's kind of where I've, where I've been today. And now we, and we gotta, of course, keep in mind that this is all on top of COVID-19. Absolutely. Right. And the disproportionate impact that it already has been having on uh, black and brown uh, communities, Mm -hmm. even here in, in Minnesota, where about, and again, these are Department of Health published data, mm-hmm. um, I would say re- reported data, something like somewhere around 21, 20, 22% of COVID-19 cases in Minnesota are African descent people, mm-hmm. but the population is somewhere around 6.1, 6.2, somewhere in there so way disproportionate right the representation among uh those with the you know with the coronavirus right so and that's and of course is of concern to people as well is how do i maintain my health and how do i you know again that has uh been something that's been a concern, especially going out to public places. Gee, why don't people wear masks? Why don't people right. uh, do the things that they should do? And what do I need to do in order to keep myself and my family and loved ones safe, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that, that was already, that's already there. Yeah. I had that as one of the questions I was going to ask because um, it, it, our society, the world really is, is dealing in dealing with this pandemic. There's um, uh, a theme of just kind of tension of just mm-hmm. this overwhelming tension because there's so many unknowns. We don't know mm-hmm. when it's going to mm-hmm. end. We don't know mm-hmm. when things will improve. We don't know where well, we're not going to get back to normal. There's, there's no such mm-hmm. thing as doing that. We're right. Another phase of, of life here. Um, mm-hmm. but 
this unknowing leaves people kind of mm -hmm. antsy. Mm -hmm. sure. Throw in this stuff on top of it. When you throw in the, the disregard for African life, when you throw mm -hmm. in the blatant disrespect that we see happening, it makes a lot of people feel like I just can't take any more. Mm -hmm. So yeah. many people just felt just, oh, I can't take any more. And, and so mm -hmm. one of the things you've mentioned in terms of encouraging people to stay connected and, and find support groups, that's one of the things I've been talking to people about. Make, make mm -hmm. sure you stay connected to people who can keep your spirits up because it's mm -hmm. easy to just go off in a corner and just find it, that, that the mm -hmm. depression overtakes you, anxiety overtakes right. you. And now right. your immune system gets weakened and you're more susceptible to, you know, getting a, uh, this virus and not being able to fight it off. There's so many chain reactions that could happen as a result mm -hmm. of having to fight through all of these things mm -hmm. we're dealing with as a society. Um, mm -hmm. Right. It just yep. becomes very heavy. Yep, it is. It's very, very heavy. Yep, it's a, it's a lot there. I mean, a lot, again, that was already there, uh, especially, well, all over. And then you add the layer of what's happened here in Minneapolis. And of course, in this day of mass media and the internet, it's all over. Mm -hmm. That where people all over the, uh, the country and the world literally can, can see it and witness it. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, it, it, it's difficult not to be impacted by it for, you know, for a lot of people. So, so. people who are protesting and wearing masks or not wearing masks, putting themselves in close proximity, what do you think about the psyche of um, feeling so fed up that you got to do something and you're willing to essentially right. put your life in danger? Right. Because right. This is that important to you. What, right. what do you think about? What do you it's, think? A, it's almost as if, you know, wow, I, um, of course, I haven't spoken to, to anyone, but, you know, I just wonder if, gee, wow, I'm, I'm just so fed up that, you know, it's kind of like, this is what I'm thinking about now. This is what I feel the need to, to do now. And it, it supersedes than this concern that I had before about my own, my, my own safety. This, this thing with, with Brother Floyd is, is bigger than I am. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that, that's a call to action. And I feel the need to do something. Of course, some people are wearing masks, but you know, most, most don't appear to be. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, you know, the proximity, uh, at which they stand is certainly less than six feet in mm -hmm. a lot of the uh, gatherings that we that we see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, again, this is bigger than my own health, my own well-being. At this point, I'm not thinking about that. I'm I'm thinking about this horrific thing that I've witnessed. Hmm. So, if you draw a line between your experiences with the death of Megger Evers all the way to the death of George Floyd and everything that's happened in between. Mm -hmm. 
how do you conceptualize that as a black man, as a black psychologist? And then what is your outlook for what you think needs to happen moving forward to stay sane in Mm -hmm. what is an insane situation? Mm-hmm. Well, again, uh, say, you know, thinking about Megger Evers, Megger Evers, uh, 63, 64, I think, you know, again, after Emmett Till, and then we get, you know, the three civil rights workers in Mississippi. Yeah, I meant uh, Emmett Till. Two, yeah, two, two, you know, the, uh, I think, two Jewish, one one African American man from from that area of uh, of Mississippi, mm-hmm. and there have been, of course, a lot of. Uh, of course, we had the you know the uprisings and most of the major cities around. Well, of course, in the mid sixties, right with uh, with Watts and you know Detroit and other places, and then after the assassination of Martin Luther King in 68. Right. And, uh, you know, subsequent to then, we, of course, maybe there were other things before Rodney King, but in the early 90s. The first videotape, yeah. yeah, Right, you know, Rodney King. And then, uh, you know, more recently, the Trayvon Martin and, Right, uh, Michael Brown and Jamar Clark and the brother, young brother in San, in Sacramento, and the list just seemingly goes on and on. I don't want to leave the sister out from uh, from Texas, you know. So, and of course, the sister in Louisville, Kentucky, just uh, weeks ago. Right. Okay. Right. So, again, when you think about all of that, okay. It's the line that goes through it is that there have been like a consistent treatment of African descent folks that has not been rendered to other people Mm -hmm. consistently because we, we haven't had the wrong house break ins that, you know, killed the 88-year-old white woman. I mean, please don't do it, right? right. <laughs> but we, we, we are not aware of it, at least. Right. I, I think they would have told us that. I think so. I think it would have yeah. been front page news. Right. So when, I, so when I think about that, it's just, you know, unfortunately, it's business as usual. I mean, I... Uh, Mayor Jacob Fry of Minneapolis, who came out a couple of nights ago, you know, if I had done this, I would have been charged. If I had killed this person, I would have been charged. Or if I had resulted in this person's death in this manner, speaking of uh, George Floyd, Mm -hmm. uh, I would have been charged. So, but again, that's... I do think that we, and I, I, you know, again, I'm a person who, hopeful, who's up, 
think that, you know, that we're going to make progress, but I think we have to unpack this racial stuff that we have embedded in our unconscious, that we have a way of fouling off to the side and not acknowledging when it comes to who we are as African descent, as African descent. So how, how do we do that, practically speaking? Well, I, I think, you know, that's, that's something that I'm really not, uh, I think, you know, the uh, experimental social psychology, uh-huh. uh, some of those folks who, you know, look at like brain functioning on the, you know, MRI, sophisticated kind of MRIs and how one might respond, rather at least what parts of the brain responds to, uh, say, white people and what, what parts may be as a response to, to black folks, those kinds of things been, you know, those kinds of studies. Uh, but I think something is there. I don't know enough about it, but I I do think that we we kind of have to have a way of saying, okay, now look, this is this is what you did then. So we have to do some do some training, some education that help people to unpack some of that stuff that they uh, have down in their consciousness. That hey, now. When you saw that, you had this response, okay? So, well, you said that, well, gee, wow, it was a phone, but you know, these are in, in training videos and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But when the, when the brother had, had the phone, you said it was a gun. Mm-hmm. The white boy had it. it, it was a phone. So why is it that you can distinguish this object? So we have a way of associating danger Mm-hmm. with blackness. So you're saying we have to train the white folks that are on the police force and get into- We gotta, we gotta train them, but, but also the, those, those folks leave, their, leave the police force and they go back to wherever they live. So we, I mean, somehow we have to, certainly the, the police need that kind of training because they are the ones who are on the front line to quote protect and serve, and these are the ones who, who uh, unfortunately we we fall victim to. It's not only you know policemen, but there are the you know the Zimmermans of the world mm-hmm. who took uh, Raymond Martin's life. He, he's he, he's not a policeman. Right, he wasn't a police. Right, so, and they're you know so. But I think the the public needs to somehow be re-educated hmm. about one, the the their history, the history of race relations in this country and the work that we steal, that not we not that we steal because, you know, we think about you know, Megar Evers, Emmett Till, and then we, gee, wow, then we see other kinds of things that continue to go on in in 2020. So, 
I guess some ways one could argue that, would you tell me where the progress is? And then when we yeah. look at say, the incarceration rates today of uh, black and brown people versus whites, we look at the wealth gap, we look at income gaps, uh, we look in the public schools and we look at suspension rates in urban schools, black versus white. So there's a lot of work that we have to do. Yeah. I mean, I literally, the reason why I asked you that question because you're somebody who was right there with Emmett Till and you're now right here with George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And that's yep. what, at least, what, 50, 60 years apart. Right. What yep. is the difference? <laughs> Brother, I wish I could tell you. And it may be a rhetorical question. I wish I could tell you that there was a difference. Okay? But I, I, I can't. Hmm. Because in some ways, black folks were better off, and I don't mean to argue that what gee, segregation was good for black folks. Mm -hmm. But to the extent that black folks had their, their restaurants, their hotels, their farms, in some ways, uh, some cases their factories, their insurance companies, they hired other black people, they took care of the needs of other, of other black people, they had that presence in the African, uh, in the African American uh, community, and in ways in 1955 that we don't have mm. today. So okay. not saying that it's, that it was all good back there, but certainly in some ways things were better than they, you know, than they are today. If we look at like the black wealth gap, the unemployment gap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the sense of community so there was more right. community. Yeah. And that's 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 a that's a that's a huge difference. Yeah. The sense of community and that we are so dispersed today. Sometimes uh you know it's nice to be able to live where, you know, gee why am I moving on up because I move up to the east side? Is that is that really better for me? Right, right, right. Or am I better off? <laughs> so well we you know this is a, this is a, I want to be a podcast of hope and inspiration. Right. I don't know that we are inspiring people with, with well, yeah. <laughs> it, so, it's just what it is. Um, right. But gosh. Mm -hmm. I, and I, and I guess, I, I guess I don't want to, I don't know. What can one say? I mean, we had a we had an African uh, American president from what was it, two thousand and nine to two thousand and seventeen, right? Eight years, two thousand seventeen, right. about a little less than three and a half years ago, right. when he left office. And what has changed? <laughs> well, yeah, what is, yeah, what's, what has changed? Oh. We had, okay. 
So, so again, I think these are things that we have to, we have to think about. Right. Right. Okay. We're going to, we're going to come up with some solutions because. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What what Africans have done, Africans can do. And we, we are great. And right. we will continue to be great. We just right. got to sort it out, and we're going to keep. Yeah. Coming. Let, let me get. I just. I just want to add that I think in terms of solutions, it's. I think it's up to us. Mm-hmm. It's up to us as African descent people, African American people, to um, to accept responsibility for ourselves for looking out uh, for each other, for paving the way for each other, for reaching back, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I think the more that we do, the better off we are. The more that we uh, are, quote, kind of making our own way as an individual, gee, well, I think that the, the more that, that, kind of contributes to our demise right. because that energy is not, you know, within that, that energy is not stirring around within the, right. within the mass. Not the collective. I know one simple thing that I do just, I don't even think about it anymore. Whenever I have to spend some money, I try to spend money with a black person first. Right. Sure. I, yeah. I go out of my way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, Automatic. Mm-hmm. Even when I travel, I want to find a black restaurant. I, like mm-hmm. I'm always thinking that way, and that's just a small thing, but it's a large mm-hmm. thing as well. That, um, right. That is a big thing. Right. Yeah. And that that's the kind of thinking that helps to keep those businesses going and have to right. keep those those black people working. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. All right. Well, I want to give you a little a little a little time as we wrap up here. We've been so on this hot and heavy topic, but um, say a little bit about your practice and and how you um, came into psychology and and, and what types of things you work with, that that kind of thing. Well, I, it's it's really a long story. I'll try and be uh, succinct as I can. Uh I kind of, I backed into psychology. Oh. Okay. Okay. But when I say I backed into psychology, I was studying to be a high school guidance counselor. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was working at a vocational rehabilitation workshop where there were folks who had some type of, of, uh, of limitation to their employability. Okay. And in this particular, particular case, uh, this this workshop in Cleveland, Ohio, sub- suburban Cleveland, Brook Park, uh, mostly white, very few uh, African American folks, and of course, I'm teaching, I'm taking my practicum class in the this guidance and counseling program. I want to I, I want to work with the with a to practice my interviewing skills. Mm-hmm. with an African descent person. So the, the young man that I chose, actually he was a boy, and I won't, I won't use his name, uh, but I said, and of course, and I also 
father was uh, had a development class at the same time. And so I was thinking, well, gee, I think I'll just try and do my interviewing skills around career development. So I said, uh, we'll, we'll call him Jamal, since he was a young brother. Yeah. Jamal, what would you like to do when you grow up? He said, well, you know, I've, I've had this dream of singing in Carnegie Hall as Judy Garland. Hmm. <laughs> okay? Mm -hmm. And I was stunned. I, did, I didn't have a comeback. And I said, hmm, I did not expect this from a young black, from a 15-year-old uh, black male. Uh -huh. So that got me thinking about, you know, huh, that boy is different than I am. Right. Okay. And so I became more interested in, quote, diversity, even though at that time I wouldn't have termed it that, that, you know, right. black people come from different places. And I, of course, proceeded on to become a, a, a rehabilitation counselor. And along the way, I figured out that, well, you know, you seem to, to enjoy working with folks with mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. And so then, well, gee, well, how does one work with mental health challenges? Well, uh, psychologists seemed to do that at the time. Okay. Uh, and that was what I saw. And so that's what got me kind of interested in, in psychology as a, you know, kind of more as a career, that in order to do mental health counseling, I need a degree, so I need a PhD, and I looked, really I looked at a uh, few different programs at the University of Minnesota, and that's where I ended up. Mm -hmm. So, and that, so when I decided to become a psychologist, I had uh, met a mentor. Uh, well, actually, a couple of mentors. One was a, an advanced graduate student, uh, Charles Ridley, who's a professor at Texas A&M University now. Mm -hmm. He's written a lot about, uh, he has a book called, what is it, Prejudice and Racism or something like that. I, 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 yeah. Well, I better better stop before I forget. Did, did he, he dealt with the cultural functional paranoia, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That's that's the title of his book. Okay, Doctor, yeah. Yes. Anyway, he was an advanced graduate student in my in my program, who became became a good friend and a good mentor. And of course, we in the Department of African American and African Studies was an African American psychologist whose name was uh, John Taborn, who unfortunately he. Uh, Chuck Ridley was his teaching assistant, and of course, after Chuck Ridley graduated from the university, then I became John Taborn's teaching assistant. So now here I am with an African-American psychologist in the Department of African-American and African Studies. The courses he taught were psych social psychological consequences of racism 
and behavior in the black American experience. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I was his t teaching assistant for a couple of years. And that, and he, of course, he had a private practice on the uh, outside of the university. And so he practiced the psychology with mostly black clients. And of course, he taught these classes. And I was his TA, and I would grade papers and, of course, would have to read them. And uh, of course, he forced me to attend his lectures. So I, I, I heard his lectures a couple of times. Right. And so that really uh, schooled me, gave me some uh, something to think about. And, and uh, when I began to think about, well, gee, now what about this psychology stuff that I'm learning that I need to think about differently? And it helped me put the pieces together. So uh, since graduate school, I've had some level of understanding that there is a different way that that black folks need need to be uh, worked with. And I've, of course, spent my career uh, trying to, you know, trying to do that. So there's always, you know, learning stuff. Mm -hmm. So absolutely good. Yeah. And so, and, and again, I've, uh, since I've finished graduate school, I've always had a private practice, even though I've always, I maintain a full-time job and usually taught one or two classes on the side from the time I finished graduate school until I retired seven years ago. And since I've retired, I've just maintained a private practice. Private practice. Okay. You enjoy the work now. Before, before I was a full-time clinician uh, during the day in the private practice, a few evenings a week and mm -hmm. Saturday mornings, that sort of thing. And, okay. But now it's still enjoyable. That's, that's why I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they're so... They want to reach out to you. What what's the best way? Well, well, the best way is to call me up. Uh, I don't have a web presence, mm -hmm. uh, but of course, if you Google Pearl Barner, P E A R L B A R N E R, psychologist, you will find me. Okay. And uh, or you can call six five one three three four. One four eight six six five one three three four one four eight six downtown Minneapolis. Okay, all right, sounds good. Well, this has been a great conversation. I've I've learned so much. Um, you have an amazing history, and I think that connection. I'm gonna keep thinking about that 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 fabric from Emmett Till to George Floyd, and I think that's there's something symbolic there that means something, and I'm gonna. Keep thinking about that mm -hmm. and um, sure. encourage those that right. are listening to. Sure. If you have thoughts or questions, you know, feel free to you know reach out to us and and let us know what they are. You know, mm -hmm. Help us stimulate our thinking. Yeah. But thanks so much for right. an, an informative uh, conversation. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to to do this this evening. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, and I appreciate you having me, and I've uh, just been an admirer of your of your work. 
and your contributions to to psychology, especially psychology as it relates to the African descent experience. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. So thank you all for listening. I hope you've been inspired, that you've taken something away from this to uh, help move you forward on your particular mental health journey. And we'll be back with more to say about this. We have more people to talk to, more conversations to have, and we got to figure this thing out. And we got work to do. We'll be grinding to get it figured out. And I believe better things are coming for us. And so we just got to keep doing the work to make that happen. Right. So until next time, um, take care and stay safe. Peace. In closing, I want to remind you to always be a critical thinker as it relates to your mental health and well-being. We always want to inspire you to consciously question your choices to ensure that you are doing those things that bring you happiness and fulfillment. Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel and share the information with others who might benefit. Connect with us on Twitter at HeartMindHealer and visit our Facebook and Instagram pages at Alashe Center, A-L-A-S-E Center. Our website is Alashe.net. A-L-A-S-E dot net. And feel free to contact us for any consultations or questions you might have. Things that I might be missing. Running too fast to stop to listen.